Well, welcome back, Cityville Church, to our latest podcast, and, and this is kind of a, a new and interesting podcast, or at least hopefully it's an interesting podcast. We're, we're, we're going to start our newest installment of a new segment. Um, we haven't really come up with the name with it yet, or a name of it yet, and not a catchy one at least. We're, we're working on that, but it's really where I'm going to be discussing um, deeper or, or maybe hard questions or deeper theological questions that, that people have in the church. And I'll bring somebody in from time to time, or maybe more often than not, and we'll discuss, we'll go back and forth. And this is going to be a, a, a wide range of topics. And, and maybe we would even love your guys' input. So if you guys have input and you're, you're watching this and you're going, hey, I'd really like to know more about whatever it is, predestination, uh, uh, creation or, or anything like that, or, or a certain question that your friends might be asking you. We want to be able to answer those questions. We want to be able to wrestle through those things. And some things we're going to be like, yeah, okay, that makes a lot of sense. We can, we can, we can dogmatically say that we are closed handed in this issue or uh, similar to a podcast we did uh, when we were in Second Thessalonians, and we were wrestling back and forth with you know end times, and and uh, Pastor Pat and Pastor Chuck were in here, and they're kind of talking about even an open-handed issue that they didn't necessarily fully agree on. Um, I think that was healthy, though, right? I mean, it's a healthy way to dialogue. It's a healthy way to think through these things, and that's what we want to be able to do with you guys. And so this is uh, our newest installment of a, a segment like that. Uh, and we don't know what the name is yet. We'll come up with some fun name. I'm sure, I'm sure Curtis Johnson will be all over that and he'll do a great job, right? Um, so what I really wanted to think, and this is why, okay? So let me start off by this. This is why I think we should think deeply about the things of God. Um, Paul in Ephesians, I have this open right here, Ephesians chapter 3, and all over the place Paul says this. He says this to Timothy. He says, Timothy, think over these things that I've written to you. But even a more famous passage, he says in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3, whoa, almost lifted the table with me. Uh, he says um, in verse 17, I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able to comprehend with the saints what is the length and the width, the height and the depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. And I love that passage because he's saying a couple of things right there. First of all, he, he's praying. He's saying, look, I'm praying that this would be true in you and, and this would be firmly rooted in not... Not knowledge sake, right? So oftentimes we have the thought that, okay, if we're just going to talk about these deep things, these these hard questions, then um, we're just going to get a big head, right? We're just going to become more knowledgeable and it's not really going to be worthwhile. Uh, but Paul here says, no, 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 rooted in love. There's the root. There's the foundation. It's the love of Christ. Here's our foundation. And then he goes on to say that you may be able to comprehend or uh, the uh, NIV says be able to grasp comprehend or grasp with all the saints what is the length the width the height and the depth of God's love and so I, I think you'll find this all throughout scripture that Christianity is not a dumb person's religion right God's goal for us Christians is not just for us to uh, 
ignorantly walk about in bliss, right? Ignorance is not bliss in that sense. God wants us to do the hard work of thinking about him, of of, compre- of trying to comprehend who he is. God finds, I believe that God finds great pleasure in us doing that and us, us seeking his face in that way with this caveat. And I love this, that if you continue on in that, in that passage, in that Ephesians passage, verse 19, it says, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of the knowledge of God, all the fullness of God. Um, and I think that's an interesting caveat because yes, we want to be able to understand the things that we can understand about God, right? There are certain things that, that if we think hard enough, if we study, if we, if we contemplate that, that God has allowed us as, as humans uh, to be able to understand. And that's a great thing. And we should be pursuing that. At the same time, uh, Paul says right here, a complete knowledge of an eternal God is a futile task. You can't completely understand an eternal being. You just can't do it. Not fully, at least. Not not completely. And so Paul even says that right there when he says uh, this love that surpasses knowledge. It's, It's at times incomprehensible. And that actually is the beauty of these discussions where we can have these discussions and wrestle back and forth and back and forth and say, hey, at the end of the day, I don't know, but I am trusting in God. I'm trusting that his ways are higher and than my ways and his ways are just because he is a just God. And, and again, even going back to our, our, uh, uh, our series in Ruth, that, that kind of goes back to this whole idea of trusting God, even when we can't actually see the purposes, see the actual clear-cut answers of what's going on here. So I think that's just kind of, I wanted to at least have a foundation in scripture for why I think a topic like this um, is not only uh, good, but I think it's, I think it's really necessary for, for Christians to not, not shy away from the deep things, but dig into them uh, with the caveat of, yes, it's healthy to acknowledge when I'm not going to be able to understand everything. And that's okay. Uh, God wants us to wrestle through those things. So with all of that in mind, in the weeks to come, uh, I don't know how often we're going to do this, but you know, we'll do it and I'll bring people in here. Uh, again, I like the idea of you guys bringing us options. So you guys bring us questions. You guys bring us uh, topics to discuss and, and we'll dig into those. Uh, but just one that kind of popped in my head the other day when I was asked to, to do this podcast um, was, oh, I had a friend on Sunday, an unsaved guy, and he comes up to me, we're having this conversation, and almost just completely out of the blue, he asks me, uh, so how would you describe God or who is God to you and uh, uh, um, describe him in one sentence? And so, of course, I'm like a little caught off guard in the moment. I'm like, yikes, uh, man, one sentence. And I started to think through it a little bit. It took me a couple of seconds and I kind of jotted out what I, what I thought, who I thought God was in one sentence as, as succinctly as I possibly could. But I was just thinking like, that's a really good question. Uh, if you were to describe God in one sentence, how would you describe him? And would you be able to defend that, that sentence? Um, and I think it's a good practice for all of us, but, but here's where I 
again, reflecting on that question, uh, I went to, uh, obviously you're listening, so, so you, can, you can probably whip open your phone or whatever, but if you have a Bible, look at John 1. And I love this because the very beginning of John 1, a very famous passage of the Gospel of John, uh, he starts off with the very famous words. And if you know this gospel, you know it's referring to Jesus here. The word at the very beginning, the John chapter 1, verse 1, is referring to Jesus. Um, but really, I, I'm looking at this, and it is a roadmap. The first section, the first part of this chapter is a roadmap to answer that question. Who is God? Uh, and so... As I was thinking about, I just jotted down a couple things, and I'm going to share them with you right here as we kind of just walk through the first five verses and then jumping down to uh, a couple other verses in, the, in this first section right here. If you have a Bible, just look at this for a second. 1 John chapter 1, this is what we learn about this question, who is God? Verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now again, this is a reference to Jesus, right? But we know that Jesus is God. And what this verse simply saying right here is that this God is an eternal God. He's existed from since before time began. So this is how I described it to my friend. I said, well, first, he's an eternal God. Uh, he's always existed. He, he's never had a beginning. He will never have an ending. Um, and I know that, uh, you know, I, I like to, obviously, I like to hang out with a lot of Christians, but I like to hang out with a lot of skeptics and atheists as well. And uh, it's well known in the atheist community that, that many Christians are like scared to death of the Big Bang, right? Uh, but you might be surprised that the history of the Big Bang, actually, atheists used to be scared to death of it. When it first came out, when the, when the, uh, uh, when the theory of the Big Bang first came out, it, was actually, uh, uh, it actually came out from a Catholic priest, from a, from a Christian, or, or at least someone who claimed to be a Christian, somebody who believed in a theistic God. And this was the early 20th century, and it scared, it scared the, the pants off of these atheists because they thought this guy actually has somewhat of some reasons why this could be the case. And they all were thinking, uh-oh, if there's a beginning, if there's proof for a beginning, then, then that means that there's has to be, there has to be a God. There has to be a start of the universe. That means something had to have started it. And it really scared them. And so actually Albert Einstein interestingly enough, he was working on this theory of a universe that could be eternal. And so he even did the math. I'm going, getting off on a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I find this so fascinating. Uh, he did this math, this equation where he, he could possibly have an eternal universe. And he actually fudged some of the numbers on purpose to make that possible. Um, but then his good friend, Edwin Hubble, you may recognize his name from the Hubble telescope. He actually found definitive proof that the universe was expanding, which means, you know, at least in their theory that the universe could have contracted. Uh, and so he showed Einstein that evidence through his own telescope. And Einstein famously said, I now see the necessity for a beginning. I now see the necessity for a beginning. It was super famous, and he never really did become a Christian. Einstein was more of a deist his whole life, but he did believe that there was a creator, right? And so you recognize that science actually points to the fact 
that our universe, whatever your view on creation is, whether it's young, old, whatever, it had a beginning. All of the evidence points to the fact that it had a beginning. And if the universe had a beginning, that means that it must have had a creator an eternal creator outside of time, outside of everything like that, so that we can know that this actually is an eternal God. And John here is saying that exact same thing. He's saying, look, in the beginning was the word and the word is with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Um, Psalms 90 verse two, I have it right here in front of me, says before the mountains were brought forth, before you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. From everlasting to everlasting, God has existed for all of eternity. So that's what I told my friend, the first thing I said to him. The second thing I pointed out is I said, look, this is, this is an all-powerful God and this is an all-knowing God uh, or maybe the way that we you know, use it around our church uh, terminology is this is an omnipotent God and an omniscient God. Uh, and the very next verses point that out. Look at verse three. It says, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Uh, I love the verse in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40, 26 says, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these things. He who brings out their hosts by number, calling them by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. So if you look at the universe around you, right? I'm explaining this or, or I didn't get to in the moment explain this, but this is how I would usually explain it if I had the time uh, to my friend. Um, you know, if you look at the universe around you, it's obvious. We know it. You, you look at something and you, and you infer intelligence. You say, there's, there's no way that, that, that something this, this unbelievably complex could exist by chance. Uh, and so we look at that and we go, yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense. I mean, if I'm walking, this is a simple example, but if I'm walking along the side of uh, the beach and I see my name written in the sand, I'm going to infer that, that somehow an intelligent mind drew it there. I'm not going to infer that somehow the waves caused that name to get there. And of course, our universe is vastly more complex than that. And I know that's just a simplistic analogy, but when you look at the universe around you, you can see not only is this an eternal God, he's existed from, from everlasting to everlasting, but he is an all-powerful God creating not just earth and humans, but but universes and galaxies and galaxies. And that, 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 that necessitates his power, right? And the intricate design, you know, in Psalms 139, he says, you formed me, you knitted me together in my mother's womb and in the, in the, uh, uh, in my mother's bosom, you know, the, the depths of all this. And, and this just shows his, his, his omniscience, his, his knowledge, his, his, unbe his unbelievable knowledge and how to put things together just right. And so this is what I'm telling my friend. I said, okay, he's, he's eternal. He is omnipotent. He's omniscient, he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful. And then verse four, he's personal. Look at verse four, it says, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. So right here, John goes on to say that he just talked about physical life, 
that God's the creator of all physical life. But then he goes on to say, now he's talking about a different type of life. He's talking about metaphysical life. He's talking about spiritual life, right? He's saying that life, Jesus was the life, uh, uh, or he was the, that life was the light of men, right? So oftentimes anybody who's a believer, you'll say, when I became saved, when I got saved, the light went off. I saw the light, you know, some people say some terminology like that. That's what he's referring to here. But even in a more general sense, that's specifically what John's referring to here, the salvation that, that Jesus brings. Uh, but even in a general sense, you have a dim light that God has put in every single human, whether they believe in him or not. Uh, so Ecclesiastes 3.11 uh, said, I think it's 3.11. I think I have it. Yeah, 3.11. Uh, he has made everything beautiful in his time and he has placed eternity into the hearts of man. So, so God has placed this dim light, I like to think of it as, he's placed this dim light into every single human. Uh, and you can think of this light like a desire for justice, a desire for satisfaction, a desire for uh, fulfillment, a desire for freedom, uh, a desire for perfection, right? Um, this guy who I was talking to, he actually whipped out his phone and he's like, this is, my, this is why I say God is. And he showed me a picture of the sun. And I don't know exactly what he was referring to, but I'm pretty sure he was saying something along the lines of the whole world is, is God, right? The sun is God. You are God. We're all part of this together. And I always found that philosophy to be kind of interesting because I see it as just humans crying out for perfection, right? Uh, in this life, you live it the best way you can and then you die and you will come back and you'll just continue to build upon your life until eventually you reach nirvana, you reach perfection. And I'm looking at that and I was explaining to a different friend of mine who had that same mindset and I said, don't you see that it's just your inner self, your, your, your soul is crying out that its desire is to be perfect. And, 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 you're, and the same thing is true about satisfaction. The reason why we desire a world in which we are satisfied, the reason why we desire a world in, in that we are so infuriated by racism, infuriated by injustices that happen, is because we know inside of us that we were created for a world in which there was complete justice, a world in which we know that we are completely satisfied, or at least we ought to be completely satisfied. And this is that dim light that I'm referring to. And this actually shows a personal God. I love the words of C.S. Lewis. Um, he says, creatures are born with desire, or creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. Listen to this. A baby feels hunger because food exists. A duck wants to swim because water exists. So, if I find myself, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. I hope you're grasping what Lewis is saying right there. He's saying that the reason why we have these, these dim lights of of a desire for satisfaction, a desire for freedom, justice, whatever it is, is because you were made 
for a perfect world and to be in a perfect relationship with the creator of that world. Which of course, when you look at Christianity, is exactly what it teaches. You were created to have a relationship with God. Now, of course, sin broke that relationship, and we've been trying to fight our way to find our way back into that perfect relationship, right? So this actually shows a personal God. He's not only eternal, from everlasting to everlasting. He's not only all-powerful, creating the galaxies. He's not only uh, omniscient, you know, knitting us together. He's also personal because he wants you. He wants your inner self. He wants your your sat. He wants to satisfy you. He wants to uh, to fulfill you. He wants to give you true freedom and to create and to give you what you were actually created uh, uh, to be and, and to experience in this world. And this is what I told my friend, right? So, so he's a personal God. And then lastly, and, and maybe most importantly, he's a holy God. Uh, so, so look quickly at verse 5. It says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So he's talking about Christ, Jesus. Jesus came, and he shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Our darkness has not understood it. Um, and this is a clear reference to morality. This is a clear reference to right and wrong and how we as, as humans, and this is from my understanding, this is the most obvious way to see that, that God exists in that this is a holy God is because the fact that we can understand what right and wrong is shows us that this God, whoever created us, has ingrained inside of us a conscience. And as going back to C.S. Lewis, as C.S. Lewis would say, this gives us inside information to clues to the meaning of the universe and clues to the meaning of the creator of the universe. So we can know that the reason why we determine some things are wrong and other things and we desire right things is because this God is a good God. His, his character is good. And we, we can surmise that we've fallen short of that good character, right? We, we, haven't, we haven't met that standard, that, that moral law that's ingrained in every single one of us. We haven't, we haven't met that standard. Um, and because he's holy and because we're not holy, we're, we're imperfect, and again, we're trying to get back into that relationship with these desires that we talked about uh, just, just in the last verse. Um, we find that, that giant chasm that we've been separated by. And we can't work our way there, right? We, we realize that. We can't work our way there. There's no, the Bible's very clear. Works are not going to get you to salvation. You can't work your way uh, into a relationship with God. And even logic tells us that, right? You can't, even if you've screwed up one time, you can't work your way back to perfection. Um, and I love that because this is, this is the clearest bridge to our answer. So if God is holy and he's eternal, uh, omnipotent, uh, omniscient, uh, a personal and holy being, uh, the only way that we could have a relationship with him, the only way that we could uh, truly have our, our deepest desires fulfilled is if he does it for us. And the passage says exactly that. Look at verse 14, the most famous verse in this chapter. And the word that is God became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as the one and only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. And this is what 
not to mention Lewis again, but I'm gonna mention him again. This is what he would call the true myth. This is the story of humanity that from an outsider's perspective seems like a myth. Are you kidding me? The God of the universe actually came down onto earth to die? Yes, yes. That's exactly what happened. It is a mythical story that actually happened at one point in time because that is exactly what we need most. We have to have this God come down to earth uh, to live that perfect life that we never could, to die on a cross so that we could have that relationship. We could, we could bridge that chasm between a holy God and, and, and sinful humans. We could have that, those desires uh, that we, we most desperately uh, desire to be fil- fulfilled, actually fulfilled. Um, and that is exactly what verse 14 says. The word became flesh. And then lastly, uh, verse 12 and 13, and to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So having a relationship with this God comes in your belief and trust in, in the word, in, in Christ, and what he's done, in, in the true myth, the, the God-man coming down to earth. So I didn't get to say that completely to my friend, of course, because this is right in between services, but I did get to explain to him. I said, this is an eternal God. This is a powerful God. This is an intelligent God. This is a personal God who cares about you. He wants you, and he is a holy God who you cannot meet his standard. You can't, he's too perfect for you, and you are just not. And so all of those truths about who this God is drive us to Jesus every time. They drive us to Jesus. They either drive us to Jesus or they drive us to absolutely hopelessness, right? That's what every other religion says. Keep on working, keep on working, and we get nothing in the end. Whereas Christianity says there is an answer and it's found in Christ. So there's our first installment of this podcast of the big questions or thinking deep. Again, we don't know what we're going to name it, but uh, just a quick thought there. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to bring somebody else in and have some interactions. But we want to hear from you guys as well. So please, oh, there goes the water. That's my cue. Uh, give, us, give us your questions. Give us what you want to talk about. And we will discuss those things with you. Have a good day.